2: Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
1: What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to 7 times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment and it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com/papertarian.
0: Welcome to Creature Feature a production of iHeartRadio. Today on the show, Evolutionary Horror Stories! We love horror movies and horror stories, but when it comes to pure blood-curdling terror, there's nothing competing with Mother Nature. We'll compare some classic horror tropes to their real-life counterparts. And let me tell you, when it comes to evolution, the director's cut holds nothing back. Parasites that contort your body and mind to their will evil flowers and even more evil worms. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, how much DNA do you have to steal to survive radioactive blasts? So, guess what? I bought you a one-way ticket to a little place I like to call Imagination Station. Imagine that you're happily living your slow-paced, comfortable life, eating a salad and being a generally chill person, One day you notice your salad tastes a little funny, but hey, no sweat. But that's when all the trouble starts. You begin to feel weird inside, as if something is happening in your body, as if something is growing. Then you start to feel a strange pressure in your eyeballs. It feels like something is shifting, moving, multiplying. Over the course of a few weeks, your eyes begin to swell, bulging out of your skull. As your eyes swell, you begin to lose your sight, and you can only imagine how horrifying you must look with two huge ballooning eyes hanging out of your sockets. All you can make out is the faint difference between light and dark. You feel dizzy and out of it, and oddly compelled to follow the faint light up, up, ascending almost blindly up a staircase, until you feel a gentle breeze on your horribly mutated face. Are you on a roof? Is that the sun? The next thing you know, a huge bird descends upon you and rips your eyes out of your skull. Joining me today is writer, retired film critic, elephant apologist, and co-host of the podcast Night Call,
3: Emily Yoshida. Hello, thank you for having me. Did you enjoy our little uh, I horror story there? I am so intrigued. I'm so glad I came for a gross episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to do this. <laughs> um, did you watch the movie Bird
0: uh, Bird Box?
3: Yes, you know yeah.
0: how? I, okay, so I watched it. I actually had an advanced screening of it because uh-huh. I was doing. I have um, pro bird rights is my Twitter, and so I uh, <laughs> did uh, did a little advertisement on it. And uh, so they sent Those... me, and I was like,
3: "Huh, interesting." The birds don't fare very well. I feel <gasps> no. like in bird box.
0: No, they're put in a box. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, an box the whole time. it's an outrage. It's an outrage. So I called it out on its anti birdism. <laughs> but it's yeah, I, I guess the the premise is like you if you. Look at the thing, it infects your eyes and makes you go crazy.
3: Right. that Like, there is something in the atmosphere, something we never really quite see that is so horrifying that it makes you, like, lose your mind and your eyesight right. and you right. turn into a zombie-type creature.
0: Right, and you, like, do something crazy. Yeah. And,
3: and you try to get other people to, to open their eyes. Right,
0: right, exactly. Uh, yeah. And then John Malkovich is like... Hey, it's me, John Malkovich in this mm-hmm. movie.
3: How's it going? God, I forgot he was in that. Um, this, this, the, the Yeah, I, I watched that movie maybe on Christmas Eve. I can't remember. I had to write about it, and it was like a really bad way to bring out last year, movies-wise. <laughs> I did not enjoy that movie. I totally forgot that John Malkovich is in it. I've wiped most of it from my brain. Well, that's <laughs> good news for you because I
0: have a real-life version of Bird oh, that is much better. Oh, good. Um, so I want to talk to you today about Leucochloridium paradoxum. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it is an endoparasitic flatworm and endoparasites live inside the body. Uh-huh. And it lives in the temperate forests of North America and Europe, so you know close close, close to here. Close to home, yeah. yeah. It likes to parasitize snails and birds. And it does this in a really weird Cronenberg-esque way. First, it'll, just the cute little snail happily munching on leaves and mm-hmm. being being cute and harmless. Do snails munch on leaves? Yeah.
3: Oh, I didn't realize that. That's so yeah. cute of them. They're, okay, they're very they're very cute, I sweet little animals. animals. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, and they accidentally eat the eggs of a Leucochloridium paradoxum. Then these eggs begin to hatch inside the snail's body. So think back to our little horror story Uh where you feel something growing and shifting Uh inside you. This is the the life of the snail now. Uh (laughs) The first stage larvae are small, thin, transparent worms with no mouths. And they travel through the snail's body and up into its eye stalks. Uh, so inside the eye stalks, the leucochloridium paradoxum, I'm going to say that word as much as I can.
3: Leucochloridium paradoxum.
0: Yes. Wow. They transform into sporocysts, which is a sack of undulating tissue that, after a process of asexual reproduction, contains up to hundreds of Leucochloridium paradoxum larvae. I mean, same. (laughs) Big mood. Yeah. So to be a sack. So these, (laughs) these sporocysts cause the snail's eye stalks to become unnaturally engorged. So just big throbbing sacks of sporocysts.
3: Are they, is this like noticeable? If you saw a yes. snail you would know like, oh fact, something's up. Oh,
0: is there a fact, picture? Oh good. Oh, better than a picture. <laughs> I have a gift for you. A video. And it is oh, this no. video. Oh, no. That you get to watch oh, no. with me right now. <laughs> so here you have the snail. What's that? Well, is that the worm? Yeah. <gasps> oh! Oh my god oh my god i'm gonna va- paint a visual picture for the listener its this is eyes bad. are strobing and pulsating it looks like a thing is
3: throbbing
0: and breathing inside of the yeah. eye stalks it looks like it has
3: a heartbeat like the yes. eyes have a heartbeat it's crazy it looks Ooh.
0: like it looks like a a terrible organic accordion scrunching and <laughs> in, inside of the eye uh, there's bands of
3: green and white mm-hmm. and it's it's moist I would say also. very moist it yeah very moist, moist
0: looking <laughs> that's always a good good descriptive uh-huh. word moist uh-huh. so they pulsate in the snail's eyes and create a strobe effect of red green white and yellow bands and brown spots it's very hypnotic
3: looking mm-hmm. yeah very psychedelic
0: yes it uh, kind of looks like two wriggling caterpillars attached to the snail's head. This is accurate. And this is the exact effect that the Leucochloridium paradoxum is after. So birds find this caterpillar mimicry display to be very enticing and tasty looking. One thing you got to understand about Leucochloridium paradoxum is that it has one goal in life, to make it inside of a bird and mature <laughs> into their adult forms, at which point they can reproduce in a decadent hemaphroditic orgy inside the bird. <sighs> (sighs) I gotta get inside that bird. Gotta get inside that bird.
3: I like, I I can imagine this being a musical. Yeah. And from the point of view of the worms, like the opening number is like, the I want song is like, one day, I'll be inside of a big bird. See that bird up there? I'm gonna be inside it one day. That'll be me inside (laughs) of that bird, mating. Oh, God.
0: So the Leucochloridium has... Uh, one problem, which is that snails don't really want to be eaten by birds. So usually they are within the dense foliage of the forest where birds are less able to access them. And the Leucochloridium paradoxum, am going to keep saying that word as much as I
3: can. Do you, do you know what each part of the Latin mean, Or can you nope. break it down? Well, okay.
0: paradox, um, I think, means paradox.
3: That seems right. That seems like a good guess. And
0: leucochloridium, I think, means, Luke, you have cl- chloridiums.
3: Luke. Luke, oh, chloridium.
0: Isn't that, didn't, like, isn't mitochlorians? Midichlorians. Midi-chlorians is the thing in, in Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah. So we're very,
3: we're in that neighborhood. It, it sounds
0: just, like a Star Wars name, doesn't it? Does. It does. The leucochloridians. Lu- 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 Paradoxum, yeah. yeah, that mm-hmm. does. It's like, it's a very, it, it sounds like, oh, it's, it's a paradox. So it's a paradoxum. Yeah. Like yeah. In the Star Wars universe, it's he's a bad guy. So he's bad. Drax, mean.
3: <laughs> yeah. Space. Uh, like, uh, like a vaguely altered uh, synonym for bad. Right. Right. <laughs> so
0: mean bar, gross text.
3: Yes, that's great. That's really good. There should be more parasites and, um, in Star Wars. There should like. be maybe. Oh, maybe the force is a parasite. Well that's the whole thing with the midi chlorines, is right. that it's like oh it's just a little organism that lives in your blood that will tell you that like whispers the force to you. Yeah,
0: sounds like a parasite to me.
3: Mhm. But they I think they got and rid like, of it. And it causes wars, right? So maybe yeah. Maybe that's how it happens. Oh my god, you should do a whole episode on midi chlorines. <laughs> Nerds would love it. I'm
0: sure they would love it and not <laughs> criticize me at every <laughs> tiny inaccuracy. So Uh, the Leucochloridium has the problem, needs to get inside bird. It has a solution, mind control. So it controls the snail's tiny brain and overrides the snail's instinct to avoid sunlight. Uh, so the snails crawl up the plant or tree into the sun where it's easily spotted by hungry birds. The birds eat the snail's dancing, strobing eye stalks. Uh, and if the snail survives, it can actually
3: regrow them. Oh, okay. <laughs> and right. start the horrible process anew. But it, when the eye stalks are eaten by the bird, is the, is the leukocloridium then out of its system? or Out of the re- snail? Out of the snail.
0: It's a good question. I, I guess it depends on sort of the timing of events. Like if it ate a bunch of it and like there could be more inside of it still. Um, but uh, it could be okay. uh, at that point if it's alive. Right. the birds are not discerning. They'll eat whatever. They're not very surgical when they swoop down to
3: eat (laughs) snail eyes.
0: Exactly. The question is, how do these terrible leukocloridium paradoxum* control the snail's brain? So Mm -hmm. uh, we're not sure, (laughs) the short (laughs) answer. The long answer is a 2013 study by, uh, I believe it's a uh, university in Poland, I think it's called Ro-claw, uh, found evidence that the leukochloridium does indeed mind control its snail victims, but they said that, quote, both the ecological influence of the parasite and the mechanism by which it accomplishes its visibility have remained more of a puzzle than one might expect. We think that such a situation is quite embarrassing, and thus we would like to encourage the readers to undertake studies of this host parasite association. Which I think, <laughs> so I think this is like a translation thing, uh, f- probably from Polish to English, but right. I just think it's funny. Like, this is impa-
3: embarrassing we should that be we able don't to know. figure this out. Yeah. This
0: parasite controls a brain, and we
3: don't know how. It's embarrassing. <laughs> It's a scourge for the scientific <laughs> community. Well, I mean, is it not just something as simple as... I mean, I'm sure I'm not a scientist, so if they can't figure it out, I can't figure it out, but uh, but it's not just like it turns off whatever part of the brain of the snail wants to seek darkness and be undercover? It could be.
0: It could be, uh, because we know... So another parasite that we've talked about on the show before and it's quite famous is the Toxoplasma gondii, or gondii, okay. uh, and it... Uh, infects rats and makes them mm-hmm. unafraid of cats and that mm-hmm. they've found there's an actual they cause an actual lesion in the rat's brain that kind of fuses two parts of the brain the the fear and arousal sort of parts of the brain and it makes it so that rather than fearing the cats they actually feel this slight attraction towards them yes it's definitely possible that they could be just physically shutting off that part of the brain mm-hmm. Like with a lesion or something, or it could be modifying the neurochemical uh, yeah. balance of the brain. It's hard to say because it's embarrassing, but they don't know yet. <laughs> Somebody's got to get on this. So once the bird eats the parasite, it reproduces inside the birds, and the bird poops out their eggs, and doesn't really hurt the birds other than it is still a parasite. It siphons off some of the bird's nutrients, so that's always a negative thing for the bird. But it doesn't it doesn't kill them. Um, but then it poops it out. And the whole cycle begins anew. <laughs> oh, man, the circle of life, <laughs> the circle of worms, the circle of worms. So this body horror kind of makes me think of the thing, you know how like mm-hmm. like the the, the thing infests the people, yeah, causes, and then it's what does it like? Okay, remind me of it. It eats uh, them and turns them into a thing
3: yeah I, I I can't remember the exact mechanics of it, but, yeah, it's something like that. i <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, but yeah, like a, th- a any kind of uh, organism or thing that feels like it just as easily exists as sort of like a disease, like a possessing force, right? Not just not just a worm or an organism that's got a, like a, a a parasite, but something that you know shifts your mind and everything. That's always really creepy to yes. me. I'm always yes. like super into that. <laughs> I mean that like I don't know if this is on the docket for today, but have you talked about um, the um, the barnacles? Um, that infect the crabs we talked about this oh on, interesting we talked about this on night call this was a big um focus of obsession for us i believe we have an entire ep- like uh, or it's like it's in the title of the episode right. because we were so into these guys um but they do a similar thing where they they kind of um they actually like s- effectively switch the gender of the crab that they oh, um, they've infected and then um kind of Uh, also infect its brain as well to like make it um want to reproduce so (laughs) it's like it's pretty wild like that stuff is i mean i guess we're lucky as humans that so far nothing as far as we know can really do that to us (laughs) (laughs) or can it maybe Hmm. i don't know uh
0: (laughs) that that's so interesting uh it says it's okay it's called uh, sacculina carcini i've actually not heard of this parasite yeah. before so i'm really excited it is a parasitic castrator Yeah. <laughs> <a> crab yeah
3: <laughs> it gets that's into a male that's a, crab
0: that's a nice combination of words
3: parasitic castrator yeah <laughs> um so it's uh it basically turns it it takes over its reproductive system and replaces right. it with the barnacle's reproductive system. It, like, grafts itself onto it and then turns and then tries to get, like, its eggs fertilized, I believe. I don't know. It's been a second since I looked at this. but Yeah,
0: it, the, so the parasite uh, messes up with the development of the crab's genitals, and then they atrophy. Uh, <laughs> and then the... Um, I see, so the parasite makes the male crab uh, develop feminine characteristics... The eggs of the parasite are
3: secured under the abdomen. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, f- a feminist hero. Um, <laughs> oh, I see. So,
0: so if the parasite is removed from the host, the female crabs will regenerate their ovaries, but uh, males will start developing ovarian tissue and, mm-hmm. and basically turn into females. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so interesting. Yeah.
3: That's crazy. It's yeah uh, that that one kind of blew my mind a little bit when we had a, a listener send that to us. <laughs> <laughs> I want so the thing in the movie is it like
0: basically steals like human DNA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, at least there's not like a real animal that steals DNA, right? Or is there? Oh boy! Boom. Uh, there is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to our horrible little stage, the uh, Deloid Rotifer. So I bet you're wondering. What's a deloid rotifer? Well, it's a class of rotifer. Well, so what's a rotifer? rotifer? (laughs) It's a wheel animal. Does that clear things up? A wheel animal? Okay, so you want to know what a wheel animal is? It is a microscopic or near-microscopic invertebrate uh, or type of zooplankton. They live in mostly fresh water all over the world. And they're called rotifer or wheel animals because their mouths look like a teeth wheel. Um, oh, is
3: it like the tardigrade? Is it like that? Similar to that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he has a little circle. Little bit, he's got a circle tooth, mouth. Tooth mouth. <laughs> yeah, but
0: his doesn't actually. So he's not a wheel animal because uh, his doesn't look like it's rotating. These um, ones they almost look like you know the the um, like a sh- electric shaver with the rotating blades. Uh-huh. It looks like that. Uh, They look like a tube with a sharp butt and a rotating shaver head mouth, Hmm. Um, and their mouths don't actually rotate, but there's fan-like movement of the cilia, which are the little moving hairs, uh, which makes it look, gives the illusion that they're spinning. Ooh. So let me, I've actually got a video here for you to enjoy. Oh, they're so tiny. Yes, they are. They are almost microscopic, although some of them can grow up to uh, about a millimeter. Oh,
3: Kind of cute, They're right? Kind of cute. Yeah, I have like a, to say, go. It the description is along. so much more scary than the actual. I know. Thing. I, I oh, like. And this. He's catching his little beads. <laughs> like-
0: I, this video that we're watching, there's this caption that says their favorite mode of locomotion is creeping. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh So they. Uh, Their appearance is weird enough, but it's actually their DNA stealing that makes them like a movie monster. So the Delite Rotifer are an all-female class of animals. So they have reproduced asexually for around 80 million years. Despite being asexual reproducers, they managed to increase the diversity of their genetics by borrowing DNA from other animals. Uh, They have acquired... About 10% of their genes from other creatures, uh, including bacteria, fungi, and plants. So these are acquired through a process known as horizontal gene transfer, which is the transfer of genes from one organism to another, uh, rather than through reproduction. Hmm. Uh, so, reproduction is vertical transfer. Like, you have babies, mm-hmm. they get mm-hmm. your genes horizontal, like some random stranger just gives you their genes. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: mean, that happens all the time, right? Exactly, right? right? I mean, you bump into somebody on the subway. <laughs> yeah.
0: Ah, you got your genes on me. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, so prokaryotes, which is like bacteria, um, are really good at horizontal gene transfer. Um, but eukaryotes are—they're more complicated. Their cell, cellular structure is more complicated, uh, so it's a little more difficult for them to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, when they gather genes from other organisms, it's thought to maybe be from a process called endocytosis, where uh, the eukaryotic cell engulfs another cell and it starts to break it apart, and then like some of the genes survive that process Mm -hmm. and then get incorporated into its own DNA. Hmm. So this occurs in many different species of animal, but the Deloid rotifer is unique in the extent to which it uses foreign DNA. So it's collected genes from over 500 species of organisms. Uh, these genes allow the Deloid rotifer to survive extreme environments. So they're aquatic, but they can survive being dried out, uh, desiccated for at least nine years. Whoa. So imagine like a fish, just like you dry it up, it's basically a mummy, and then nine years later you spritz some water on it, it just like <laughs> flops back to life. <laughs> (laughs) They can survive high amounts of radiation, (laughs) Um, (laughs) and they can break down the toxic chemical benzyl cyanide, which allows them to live in sludge like sewage treatment plants. Huh. So they're almost indestructible. Whoa. Uh, And they they kind of I know. So you mentioned the tardigrade, which is another one of these very tiny animals that are really good at surviving. This this one gives them a run for their money. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean. It feels like a it feels like a superhero power or something to be able to absorb. Isn't somebody that what else Rogues? Rogue, Rogue's? Yeah, yeah, Rogue and like, X Men does that. Yeah, because
0: she she absorbs other people's powers. Yeah, like Sylar from uh, Heroes. like, uh, yeah. eats their mm-hmm. brains and gets their powers. Right? Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly like that. I mean, how come it's uh, the thing I always wonder about? The, like, I mean. And not that I know of too many species like this, but, like, why do they remain so tiny? Like, why wouldn't – isn't there, like, some gene that they could absorb <laughs> that would, like, make them – Absorb a bigness gene? A bigness gene or I mean, make them – but
0: if they're so small, how are they going to absorb an elephant, huh?
3: I guess that's true. Uh, but do I they think... have to eat the entire organism
0: or no, just, like, no. a part of so it? No, So the real reason I think that they're that small is that they're, they're – it's similar to the – reason why like insects can't get really huge and such. So Mm -hmm. it's like when you have a certain cellular structure and metabolic system, it isn't really sustainable at larger Mm -hmm. sizes. So through evolutionary processes, obviously, sometimes these very tiny organisms do end up Becoming mm-hmm. larger animals. But a lot of them just there's not really any reason for them to and they, they wouldn't survive being like blown up like say they had right. some kind of gigantism gene that like just blows them up. They wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily survive that. There is um, Something and we've talked about it a little bit on the show. Something called deep sea gigantism, where uh, <laughs> animals who are in, on the ocean floor oh, are, yeah. are often bigger than their counterparts that are mm-hmm. more towards the surface of the ocean, and that's due to uh, some of the difference in environment, like that deep and is it like a ocean. pressure thing
3: or something or the well, light? It's actually
0: yeah. It's actually thought that maybe because the uh, the nutritional density is so low, like oh. you have to be bigger. Uh, first of all, the bigger you are, the slower your metabolism. So the longer mm-hmm. you can go between feeding, and also the more distance you can cover. So
3: you can pick up food over uh, yeah. longer distances. Huh. Um, I mean, I wasn't shaming the rotifer or whatever. Same a little guy. bit like you were. I just, I want, I would You're love. Mi- Micro shaming. I would love. I would love for it to be whatever size it I wants. I know, and then you can
0: cuddle it. Though. I know, like yeah. I would love a giant tardigrade or a giant
3: rotifer, yeah. just
0: like little baby cuddle. it. Like
3: giant, comparatively, like right. I mean, we're we're, we're creating cri- like cri- like a, a chihuahua-sized chihuahua animal. chihuahua size
0: and no larger.
3: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would be uh, yeah. I would love that. Um, like a, I'd like a pet rotifer <laughs> and You use it and then you use it to mop things with. Oh little yeah, it little, little just little suck mouth, things like, up. <laughs> yeah, like an organic Roomba. Like that's an amazing idea. Yeah.
0: Lest you think horizontal gene transfer is reserved for freaky zooplankton, other animals, including humans, can get in on this freaky sideways gene action. It's thought that humans can acquire foreign DNA through retroviruses when they infect reproductive cells and inject their genetic material. However, studies on how much of the human genome is from viruses vary, some claiming we have up to 223 genes from viruses, while other studies call this number into question. While prokaryotic organisms, such as bacteria, are experts at horizontal gene transfer, eukaryotes, which include plants, animals, fungi, and single-celled protozoa, are usually less adept, except for our friend the deloid rotifer. However, there's also a wily protozoan that has stolen human DNA to engage in some cellular espionage. Plasmodium vivax is a protozoan and a parasite, one of the causes of malaria. There's evidence suggesting it has adopted some human DNA into its own genome, which allows it to stealthily stay inside the human body and may help it evade the immune system. It's like a protozoan put on a human mask and waves to our white blood cells going, hello, yes, nothing to see here, just a normal human cell doing normal human things. What's that? Somebody's been infecting red blood cells. Oh, no, that's terrible. Hope you catch him anyway. See ya. In just a bit, we'll discuss more devious, dastardly creatures, including an animal who's obsessed with death. But first, I have a quick message to deliver from Bombus, the sponsor of this episode. So I'd like to welcome you now to Creature Feet. That's right, we're finally talking about feet Specifically the things we put on our feet Here's the problem with human feet They're naked, no fuzzy fur or hooves to protect them That's where socks come in Bombus is reinventing the sock from being a mere cloth tube That we use to sheathe our foot parts To being one of the most comfortable experiences known to feet I've tried out these socks and it's truly like having your feet placed in a chariot Made from a thousand soft baby koalas Don't worry, they're not actually made out of baby koalas. But these socks are adorable with beautiful patterns and colors. Bombas isn't just kind to our feet, they're kind to our neighbors. Did you know that socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters? Bombas is on a mission to change that. For every pair of socks purchased, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. Again, these socks mean business, and their business is giving your feet the most comfortable ride of their lives. My new favorites are their new merino wool socks, designed to be breathable, dry, and never itchy with just the right amount of thickness. I'm a huge sock aficionado, and I freaking love the socks I got from Bombas. They come in gorgeous designs, and they're so comfortable, I never want to take them off. Save 20% on your first purchase when you shop at bombas.com creature. That's bombas.com creature to save 20%. Bombas.com creature. Death, decay, bodies moldering in the ground, flesh dripping off bones. This is not typically the kind of imagery we like to dwell on, but there are some people who are obsessed with the thought in an unhealthy way those with Cotard delusion, also known as walking corpse syndrome, believe they are dead or decaying. In some case studies, the sufferer even describes smelling themselves rotting from the inside out. As this is a rare mental illness, it's rather mysterious, though there have been a few documented connections to schizophrenia, depression, brain tumors, or migraine, and it's thought to have something to do with lesions in the parietal lobe, the part of the brain that processes body sense information, and spatial awareness. A dysfunction within the parietal lobe may cause a self-negating delusion where you think you don't exist or are dead and rotting. But there are some animals who are obsessed with decay, and happily so. Their whole lives revolve around putrefaction. They live, eat, breathe, and mate within the underworld of decay. Yeah. So, Emily, you want to talk about carrion beetles? Sure. <laughs> As if you have a choice. Anyways, carrion beetles are a family of beetles found all over the world who like to eat. Well, carrion. carrion. Yep. Um,
3: <laughs> I'm afraid to do the
0: Google image search. <laughs> it's not so bad. They just okay. look like beetles and probably eating a dead thing. So carrion beetles have an adorable habit of laying their baby larvae onto the carcass of a decomposing animal so their babies have a corpse to feed on as they pupate. Not nice, mm. good parents. Oh, yeah, nice parenting. <laughs> so the problem that they have is that a lot of other insects also love to eat dead rotting things, so they have a lot of competition. Carrion beetles have developed a few interesting solutions. So the genus Nicrophorus or burying beetles are the <laughs> are the undertaker of the animal kingdom. Bearing beetles will engage in wrestling matches. Oh, that is so weird. It's just like out of nowhere to determine who will be the undertaker. So males will fight males and females will fight females until only two emerge victorious. These undertakers. Damn it. What is that? Why is that? (laughs) All right, Uh, I'm sorry, last one, I promise. They work in pairs to bury the bodies of recently dead animals, like rodents, even up to the size of a rat. So a pair of these undertakers can bury a rat in just a few hours. They dig under the carcass, which sinks deeper and deeper into the earth. Then the burying beetles complete their undertaker duties by shoving the loose soil on top of the carcass. So... Inside of the tomb, the bearing beetles strip the fur or feathers off the carcass and use it to line the burrow. So cute and sweet. Aww. So cuddly and cozy. I love
3: to f- have my final resting place <laughs> inside of my own skin and fur.
0: Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so then uh, it gets better. They rub their butts and mouths all over the mm. body, releasing antimicrobial excretions. Mm-hmm. Antimicrobial excretions. That's so goth.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I know,
0: it is pretty goth. So these excretions help preserve the body and prevent odors of decay from attracting other scavengers. The female burying beetle will then lay her eggs in the nursery tomb, where they have a soft, delicious dead body waiting for them to feed on.
3: Nursery tomb kind of makes you think it's kind of a, makes a total, you think, dude. yeah, paradox, <laughs> man. <laughs>
0: Life, death, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. New life, sprouting out of dead things. Mm-hmm. Dude, Well Again, circle of life. <laughs> uh, so in a lot of insects, parents are kind of like they lay their eggs and then they just go, see ya. And then that's it. But the bearing beetles are really nice, good parents. So... The parents continue to care for their larva inside of the crypt. They will feed the larva regurgitated rat corpse in response to begging from the larva. I know I talked about uh, in this in certain species of bearing beetles, they have that uh, wrestling match. But in other species, they will bury large cadavers as a group effort, and then they raise their larva communally. Adorable. Wow. So sweet. Just like everybody sharing a dead body. <laughs> Getting along,
3: yeah, singing that's much more harmony than many uh, humans.: exactly. societies. Exactly, if we
0: could all just come together over w- one with corpse, our over one corpse, <laughs> e corpses plurbum. Yeah. <laughs> so some carrion beetles have developed a rather different strategy uh, from burial. Here, I want you to look at this photo. Oh boy! And enjoy it. Oh boy. So what could you
3: describe that for um, our viewers? It looks like a beetle that has a bunch of maybe little beetle larvae all over it. He's yeah. wearing a coat of babies basically. A coat of little mites yeah. is what's going oh, on. Oh, it's mites. Yeah. So okay. he's
0: wearing a it's you, from a distance like, "Oh, cool fur coat you've got there." Oh, it's moving. Oh, oh God. God, it's moving. <laughs> uh, so, uh, some carrion beetle species and mites have developed a symbiotic relationship. The carrion beetle allows mites to completely cover its body like a taxi for mites. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the mites hitch a ride to the nearest dead mouse or whatever. Uh, once the carrion beetle parks itself next to a dead animal, the mites disembark. Uh, but rather than eating the carcass, they like to eat the carrion beetle's competitors. So the mites will eat fly eggs, maggots, and the wow. larva of other scavengers. That's
3: devious. Exactly,
0: yes. Yeah. So Incredible. <laughs> so the mites will leave the carrion be- beetle alone to enjoy its beetle.
3: His, his, his the beetle-meetle.
0: Beetle-meetles. Uh, <laughs> it's meal of rotting mouse while the mites destroy the beetle's com- competition and clears the path for the beetle to lay its own eggs on the body. This feels like succession or something. Oh, you're right. Beetle succession and mites just... You know, like in that movie Willard where he... He makes friends with the rats. It's, oh, it's, oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah. Makes yeah. Fr- it's got the song like Ben, you mm-hmm. are a rep, but I love you. Uh-huh. That's how it goes, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it's this like loner, reclusive guy who like he's. Beaten by the rest of society mm-hmm. and his work and his boss and everything, and then he makes friends with a bunch of rats. Yeah, and his rats eat, eat all of his like competitors and yeah. stuff. So, um, that's uh, basically this, but with a beetle and yeah. lights on it. Uh. it's good to have friends, <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? That's what that song is like. Yeah, like mites it's good to have a lot of friends <laughs> eat all of my competition <laughs> so many species of carrion beetles actually have warning coloration because surprise surprise they taste like death mm-hmm. um, probably after eating all those dead things i would imagine so they are bright red and orange kind of like biohazard signs mm-hmm. um and they can excrete nasty stuff out of guess where guess where
3: their butts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
0: mean, where else would where one else? excrete? <laughs> exactly. So these, this nasty goo that they excrete out of their anuses turns predators off, and it apparently smells like death. <laughs> okay. Um, but death. So who would have thought that uh, a beetle that like eats, eats, lives, mates, raises their children inside of dead things? Yeah, would smells. have like their perfume smell like death? Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's like your lifestyle at that point. Oh, do more. Yeah. <laughs> um, so speaking of smelly dead things, uh, have you seen Stranger Things? Yes. Uh, I, I didn't mean to call Stranger Things a smelly dead thing. First. But <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm going you somewhere. Go. And you've seen the, the Demogorgon, yes. that flappy face. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about the Rafflesia Arnoldi, which is also known as the corpse lily. That's mm-hmm. pretty goth, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds like a goth, like a goth name. Like, <laughs> hi there. I'm Corpse Lily. I'm Corpse
3: Lily. You can call me Lily Corpse. <laughs> um, that's actually a really good like goth character. Yeah. So
0: here's here's a picture of the Rafflesia, uh, or Corpse Lily. It's such a big boy. It's a big boy, a big
3: flappy boy
0: with uh, a big
3: mouth in the center. The hole is the, the alarming thing. It's like yeah. that, you know, the fear of holes. Yeah. Thing. Like yeah. that. That's really triggering for that. Yeah. The
0: the it's sort of that that Genji Ito kind of yeah. uh, look of like a thing that just has a big hole in it. Yeah. What's in the hole? Is it more death?
3: Yeah, a mouth filled with death, probably. (laughs) So
0: so it uses its cadaverous odor to entice things rather than deter them. So it is the largest of the genus Rafflesia, uh, and it's the largest single flower on Earth with a diameter of three and a half feet, and it weighs up to 24
3: pounds. Oh, my God. So basically the size of a small dog. Yeah. Is most of that wait the corpses of Corpse beetles that are in its flower stomach.
0: Yeah, it's probably just the weight of the flesh and the the cor- the corpse smelling goo inside of it. I've never seen one of these in person. I mean, I know of them, well, but like it's because they're extremely rarely So too, right? they're found mm. almost exclusively in the rainforest of Sumatra. Okay, um, and it is a dark blood red with white spots, and uh, like I said, it looks like that Demogorgon face. It's got these concentric flaps. And then a big hole in the middle. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is extremely rare and, in fact, endangered due to its convoluted way of reproducing. This plant is actually a parasite. It can't grow on its own, and it has to infect a host plant. In this case, it it infects a specific species of grapevine. Um, And the seeds embed themselves into the host vine and sucks nutrients out of it. which is a, you know, about what I would expect from something mm-hmm. called a corpse lily. Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
0: When it's ready to reproduce, it creates a bulbous growth in the vine which develops into a bud. The bud forms over a year and it just looks like it's like a normal vine and then you just have this big bulbous like pustule coming out of the vine and then the bud will bloom into a huge red flower with a cavernous center and it's one of the worst smelling things on the planet Uh, it has a very powerful smell of rotting flesh designed to attract flies and beetles Uh, in fact the chemical composition of the odor is extremely similar to Actual rotting flesh. Wow um, how does it How does it get that? I mean, Where does it come from? Fr- well, it ju- it just produces the the chemical. It's sort of like you know how we can create mimic smells like fake banana. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever seen Nathan for you?
3: Um, A little bit of it, yeah. I can't watch it that much. I
0: know, it's it's so awkward. He's this comedian and he, like, pretends to help businesses, Mm -hmm. but really he's just doing terrible stuff. Uh, And he convinces a uh, frozen yogurt place to try out a (laughs) poop-flavored ice cream. Uh, So he has to go to this, like, production place where they make um, artificial flavoring and he makes artificial poop flavoring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Some, it's something it's like that, possible. but happening inside the flower. Wow. The flower only lasts a few days. It is unisexual, meaning that it is either male or female. And so the pollinator, the, the flies or beetles who are hoping to get some of that sweet corpse goo, have to cross contaminate the male and female flowers in order for... For them to be successfully pollinated, mm-hmm. and the, of course, because they can't do anything that's not disgusting, the pollen of the corpse lily is the consistency of thick snot, um, and it just kind of coats the the uh, beetles and the flies that that gets in there. In the rare instances that they actually are successfully pollinated, uh, they produce a fruit that's filled with tiny seeds that looks like a pile of poop, basically. <laughs> Um, Why is it so foul? Why is everything so about it so awful. foul? It's like, it's like, my name is Corpse Lily and, yeah. and my seeds are poop. It's like, I'm not afraid to offend. <laughs> I'm a Corpse Lily. It's not precisely known exactly how the seeds are dispersed. Um, it's thought that they're eaten by tree shrews and perhaps ants. One theory is that maybe the tree shrew poops on or around the host vine. Or another theory is that ants pick up the seeds and carry them to the vine or to their burrows near the
3: vines and the horrible process begins anew. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but they're like, I mean, it's unpleasant but it's overall like, it's like a, it's, it's like a part, it's like a vital part of an ecosystem, right? Like, don't you need to have a corpse flower in a rainforest or something? I, don't know, <laughs> <laughs> or is it like sure. a horrible aberration that like?
0: <laughs> I mean, may, the only thing it's really hurting, I think, are the vines. Right. Not. The, uh, I mean, here's the thing: the the um the rafflesia is highly endangered. Um, yeah. Whereas I don't think these vines are. Right. So, uh, and, and I guess the only other thing it's hurting is like humans who have to live near it and right. smell something that smells like a horrible corpse just spewing odor everywhere but otherwise i think it's a lovely thing and i I hope it doesn't go extinct yeah (laughs) uh man it's uh you can see it like it it is
3: truly humongous It's, it's pretty i just the way it looks is pretty unsettling to me it looks
0: like it'll eat you yeah like you've you've Gone into a real Mario hell world yeah. where the plants want to eat you, you and can they fall into it. Right, like a gritty realistic Mario yeah. where once you die, <laughs> there's no one ups. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, why are we so freaked out about clowns? Hang in there, folks. I swear this is relevant. So, their big red ringed mounds, their white faces, and blue accented eyes. There's a theory that the grinning faces of clowns land us right in the uncanny valley, evoking the grim rictus of a decomposing head. Harvard Medical School psychiatrist Stephen Schlossman told Vulture, quote, The uncanny explains a lot of horror tropes, where you look at something and it's not quite right, like a human face that's decomposing. It's recognizable, but just enough away from normal to scare you. A study published in the journal New Ideas in Psychology psychology found that surveyed people consider clowning to be the creepiest profession, followed by sex shop owners, funeral directors, and taxidermists. They perceive those death-obsessed or sex-obsessed professions to be the creepiest. Could clowns be considered death-obsessed due to their ghoulish faces? Or, as another theory suggests, is it that their emotions are ambiguous, making it impossible to know whether their leering smile is painted on or is a genuinely threatening expression? Anyways, I don't know, why don't you ask the clown standing right behind you? When we return, we'll discuss evil worms! Why are they so evil? How are they so evil? Have the evil worms been inside you the whole time? Hi, it's me again, and welcome to another edition of Imagination Station. Today, I'd like you to imagine that something is growing inside you, again. You know, something is wrong as you feel your body being filled up with some kind of massive, wriggling creature. But at this point, it's too late. You can't speak. There's some dark force preventing your voice from working. There's nothing you can do about it. It continues to grow, filling up your torso like you're being filled with some sort of nightmare spaghetti. Finally, you feel your mind start to crumble. Water, you think, water, I need water. You stumble your wretched body towards a lake, numbly aware that you probably can't swim. Oh well, a voice commands you, louder, water. So, you jump into the cold, dark depths of the lake. As the light of the sun fades away and you feel yourself sinking into the dark waters, you're dimly aware of something happening. An impossibly long, hose-like creature wriggling its way out of your guts, squirming to freedom as you drown. Luckily, guess what? You're not a cricket. Or a grasshopper. Well, I don't think so.
3: No, I as far as I know, I certainly <laughs> hope not. You look you look like a human
0: but you you know. Yeah.
3: Look, I am I'm, I'm not if, I'm not one to judge. If there's any if there's anything we've learned today it's that um you know, not all creatures are what they appear to exactly. be. Exactly.
0: We could be filled with crickets. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh the Cricket is a very unlucky animal, uh, as is the grasshopper and any other insect that is the victim of the parasitic hairworm, aka Nematomorpha, uh, which is a phylum of nematode. Um, so, like many parasites, the parasitic hairworm is a sadistic creep. Uh, it infects insects and arthropods. There are two species of parasitic hairworm that uh, parasitize crickets. You want me to try to suffer through these uh, these Latin oh my names? Gosh. Let's see, Spinochordodes tellini and Paragordias tricuspidatus. Whoa, good, good, good effort. Boom! <laughs> I think I got this perfect. Um, so they parasitize crickets and grasshoppers and force them to do their horrible bidding. They grow inside of their host cricket or grasshopper, and they occupy the poor insect's entire body cavity, uh, except for the head and legs. First, they short-circuit the cricket's brain and stops them from chirping, making them less likely to be eaten by predators. Uh, They release a protein that alters the cricket or grasshopper brain's chemistry, causing them to deliriously seek out bodies of water. Once inside the water, the hairworms wriggle out of their host like eating spaghetti in in reverse out of your butt. Does that make sense? So, I've got a video for you because I know oh you want it. Uh huh. Uh huh. You've been looking forward to this video this whole time I've been talking about it. Yeah. And here we go. Oh so, here's God. the cricket and it's in the water. And what's that oh. coming out of it? Oh, God. What is that? That's interesting. That's oh, a, my God. Oh, is, that, is that a huge worm? No. That's a huge worm. It's Co- so big. It's so big. How Com- is that whole worm in that cricket? <laughs> It's jammed in there. It's just, it's just coiled up in there. Oh, it's so
3: gross. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was so oh, here's another nasty. video of
0: it. If you want to keep watching it, there's like a bunch of them coming out of that oh, one.
3: Bore. <laughs> Oh, poor cricket!
0: Don't you worry, I had folks. No idea. I'll, I'll include a link to this video in the show notes, good, so good, you good, too good. can experience the demon spaghetti. That is the hairworm.
3: Uh, it's like the way it's like swinging around, yeah, just trying just like to undulating, like, get out. like
0: seeking its way out out of the butt. Yeah, out of the butt. It's actually, I think it's actually bursting through the abdominal cavity, which oh, is wow. great. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, <sighs> So uh the crickets and grasshoppers drown they don't normally like to jump in water because they don't really like to drown. They right. usually just sip uh things like dew drops and stuff like adorable mm-hmm. they don't uh they don't try to but like when they're infected with a the hairworm they'll just like jump right in
3: <laughs> the water's fine, and oh, the worms God. are coming out of me <laughs> i mean that is that is pretty devious. see that feels more like morally um. Yeah, like it feels more predatory than heinous? Just heinous perhaps you could say. <laughs> yeah, some of these other ones. I don't know yeah. why. It's well, like because, the body takeover thing, I guess. Right,
0: it's just the the enti- how incredibly invasive it is to like take over the entire body like be spooled up inside of it like a coil of hell and then uh just like then it drives it to kill itself unintentionally and then it like bursts out of the body. just and then it goes and mates and ugh. so it's <laughs> it's it needs to
3: it needs to grow inside of the the cricket's yeah. body it That's, absorbs uh,
0: nutrient it's uh, okay. absorbing the nutrients from the cricket like just directly through its skin like a you know okay again it's de- I mean really demonic spaghetti is the best way i yeah. can describe it yeah
3: it's like possessed spaghetti. Getting yes. possessed by spaghetti is what happens to the, <laughs> the crickets. Well, so how long does it – so it, it basically matures to, like, adulthood and then and then finds mm-hmm. the water and jumps out. Yeah. And, then, and then what does it do for the rest of its life? Mates and reproduces. Makes
0: more little, little more guys? Little, little, uh, yeah, oh. um, that will then get
3: unintentionally eaten by uh, the crickets and mm. – I don't, yeah. I mean, there's, so there's, like, fear of holes, right? But there's yeah. also, like, there's something about that, like, a, a, a curvy, I have, like, my my iPhone headphones <laughs> right here. But it's, like, that kind of thing of just, like. Noodle phobia. Noodle phobia. Yeah. Of, like, stringy things. Especially well, when they're yeah. moving. It's, like. Yeah. Ugh.
0: Well, at least we're human, so we're safe. Or are we? <laughs> <laughs> I got some bad news. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Because I, I, I got to tell you a story about guinea worms. Oh, no. So guinea worms infect humans, and they manipulate us in a similar way. So normally I'll maybe jokingly say, oh, don't Google this, but then you actually Google it, uh, and it's fun. Seriously, if you are eating, if you have any kind of sensitivity to things, like do not, this really, I'll describe it. I will describe it in lurid detail so you don't have to Google. And I, I refuse to put it in the few show notes because that is, right. I really Cruel don't. want unusual. Yeah, exactly. So the uh, guinea worm will infect humans when we drink water containing water fleas who. They themselves are infected. Uh, so the fleas die inside of the human's gut, and they release the guinea worm larva. The larvae develop into adults and reproduce inside the, the person's intestinal wall. Um, and the here's where it gets fun. The female adults migrate down the host's leg, which is apparently extraordinarily painful. Um, mm-hmm. And then it tries to exit through the foot, which is, again, extremely painful, mm. as you can imagine. So a painful blister forms on your foot as the female burrows her way outside. Uh, and this causes people to go seek out some cool water to wash their foot because it's in incredible pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you put your foot in the water to soothe the blister, the female bursts out and it spews its offspring into the water because that's exactly where she wanted you to go um, so that it could spit out all its babies into the water and then those those babies will infect water fleas and then we mm-hmm. drink the water fleas and the cycle begins anew. Wait,
3: uh, wait, what's this called? Like, what, does it have a... Guinea worms? Is guinea worms, the, is yeah. The, isn't there another kind of... Um, worm or something that can go in through your feet that maybe it goes into your feet Those are hookworms. Hookworms. Yes. 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 Okay, that's what I was thinking. Worms of. just
0: going in and out of our feet. Why do they want our feet so it seems like so The feet is the window into the the, the world, soul. I guess. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah.
3: I was I was going to say it's like the like the eyes are the window into the soul, but the feet the are feet like are the gate the, into the rest of the world. The feet
0: are the revolving door into the body.
3: <laughs> oh um, god.
0: Yeah, so i this is extremely gross um i have a pretty good constitution but like seeing an image of like this white worm coming out of like a blister the in the foot is not good it's bad it's a bad experience i don't recommend how it how
3: big is the worm
0: it's not so it's okay that part isn't so bad it is mm, spaghetti it's like a spaghetti It's It's a really long. It's a really long. It's pretty long. long. Yeah, it's pretty long.
3: Mm, No, I don't want it. Yeah,
0: I don't don't want want it either. Look at it. I do have some genuinely good news. This used to be a much bigger problem, but policies of water filtration and protecting water sources have nearly eradicated these parasites in humans. Okay. So, get this: in 1986, there were over three million cases of Guinea worm annually. Really? Um, And this has been reduced to only about thirty. Cases like wow. three, three zero in 2017. So, That's from millions, incredible. yes, this is a really a big success story of you know humans conquering a horrible parasite. Yeah, um, where do these tend to show up? I, I think in uh, Asia and Africa, okay. um, although it can be, I think it was in um, South America to a certain mm-hmm. extent as well. I think in a lot of regions where you can have sort of the, the tropical and subtropical uh areas is where you get it the most mm-hmm. But yeah, now I, I think it's like there it's you can count it on your fingers
3: how many cases yeah. there are.
0: So that that's a real, real that's great good. success story. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't
3: kill you or anything if you have it, no. but you could probably get infected, I guess.
0: Yeah. So so yes, the complications that arise from it are like um, infection of the of the blister and a lot of pain, and um, I, I think you you could get dangerous uh, side effects from it, but it no, it doesn't generally right. kill you. Right. And the
3: and the way that it you know compels you to get to the water, that's mostly just because of the pain in your because foot. of the pain. It's not a brain infection thing no. like some of these as other far as guys. we know. No, okay.
0: Um, we there's the only real I think documented case of a parasite controlling the human brain is again our, our show favorite the the toxoplasmosis, mm-hmm. um, which is the same one that infects the rats and makes them cozy up to right. cats, and that that is it's not so much that. It doesn't control our behavior like it controls the rats, but it can potentially cause, um, sort of trigger certain mental illness like schizophrenia and oh, depression wow. okay. and even OCD, which is... Uh, oh, man. Yeah. The <laughs>
3: human mind is so fragile. Yeah. Ay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But no, this is no. See, this is not as bad because it's just causing it's, horrible blisters yeah, on your feet.
3: Yeah, I mean that's all very understandable. That doesn't right. have quite the kind of existential. Right. Right. Uh,
0: exactly. Yeah. Although I, I just wonder because there are so many there so many parasites that their whole thing is mind control. It's just like it feels like a matter of time before something evolves to hijack the human brain yeah. and cause a cause a horrible apocalypse. Yeah,
3: I'm kind of shocked that it hasn't happened. Right. Yet. I know. Right. Um, Well, knock on wood, unless the parasites are coming out of the wood, (laughs) (laughs) Just like brain infecting termites (laughs) crawling up your nose.
0: (laughs) Yep. Um, So speaking of horrible things, remember the chest burster from Alien? Of course. Um, Or like the the brundle fly from The Fly with Mm -hmm. Jeff Goldblum and Mm -hmm. how it's like this fly, like at he gets, he goes in a transporter, and he merges his DNA with a fly, and then like, and is he starts to transform into a fly. But in the final stages, he just like this fly creature just bursts out of his entire body. Mm-hmm. Good news, this actually happens in okay. a certain species of ribbon worm, who have a very unique way of maturing. So uh, these are called heteronymid. Wait. Well, let's try the skin.
3: It's okay. I'm just looking at more gifts of parasitic worms. Oh, good. So. That
0: sounds like a good plan for you to do. Uh-huh. H- have you had lunch yet? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, hetero- heteronemertians are a species of ribbon worm. Um, they start out as tiny, near microscopic. <laughs> Near microscopic larvae who look a bit like bobbly jellyfish. Here, let me show you. They're not so bad looking, honestly, until you understand what's going on. So, like, they they look like they look like little, uh, hmm.
3: like a little yeah.
0: like mushroom. They're really baby tiny guys. Little, they look yeah, they look like a baby pacifier.
3: Yeah, but.
0: They're not. There's nothing pacifying about this. <laughs> so uh, rather than growing and changing in sort of the normal way, they start to grow a little worm inside of them. Uh, and as the larva goes around eating plankton and nourishing itself, it's also nourishing this little worm that's growing mm-hmm. inside of it and getting better. Ba- you're like rocking yourself back and forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so far it sounds like my childhood, <laughs> but yeah. So there are two worms inside of me, a a white worm and a black worm. (laughs) And they both try to eat all my nutrients and then burst out of me. All right. So uh, once the worm reaches a certain size, it starts to eat the larva from the inside out. Um, So here's... The, here's stage one, you see like here's the worm kind of inside of it and then at the oh. ending stage is like this huge thing and then it eats this like little mushroom shaped larva mm-hmm. and then once it, it starts to eat the larva from the inside out it actually like bursts out of the larva and it's actually this worm is not a parasite or anything this worm is the juvenile stage, the next stage of life of the larva. So it's basically as if you... If, if your
3: teenage self chest bursts out of your child yes, self, it's, it's like, hey,
0: it's, I got acne, check me out. It's like you just look like a weirdly bloated 12-year-old, and then suddenly a 16-year-old just like bursts out <laughs> of you. It's like, I hate stuff.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's so incredible. I'm going that's, to be
0: goth, and my name is Corpse Lily, like, and, my name and is I is literally burst out of my 12-year-old self. It's like and I have eggs, goth. but they look
3: like poop, because... <laughs> Um oh my god, that's so incredible that feels like a gingito thing. Yes. That feels like Yeah. Just like stepping out of the shell of your old the yes. old husk of yourself. This oh. is
0: known as catastrophic metamorphosis, which is sound, <laughs> sounds like what it is. Is there any
3: other kind? it is <laughs> Uh, uh,
0: because it is very, it is a catastrophic thing to happen and to hear about. Also, oh <laughs> my god!
3: Wait, so how big is it when this happens? Is it's this still like it's pretty microscopic, pretty small. Okay. pretty small.
0: But you know, like if you scale that up and you think about that happening, just like th- this creature just bursting out of this, su- it's mm-hmm. pretty awful.
3: Oh my god! Yeah. So,
0: do you still want these these tiny organisms to get really big?
3: Mm, um. Um. No, I'm fine with how I'm fine with that size of that. I mean, that one. It feels like I would like it to be bigger, maybe just so I could see the chest burst happen. Mm-hmm. Like that'd like, be exciting. Like it'd be funny if more dog. Uh, like it's just said dogs, but that's what I was thinking of. I was like, if, yeah, like if you have a cute little puppy and then like a full grown dog just bursts out of it. Would that make you feel? Would that feel like um, surprise? It, it would feel kind of like a. a like a, a thought experiment a little bit of like, is it the same? Like it's the whole like, like seconds or like yeah, body, it's the, the body sh- duplication thing. Like, yeah, is yeah. it still my dog? Like, well,
0: I've had that thought a lot, especially about like, so if you compare me to my, well, okay, if you compare me to my 10 year old self, no, no, you got to go back further because I'm basically still 10. If you compare <laughs> me to like my five year old self, um, very different people. Mm-hmm. And so is five year old me dead? And am I a new creature? Well, it's crazy to
3: think about is it like none of the cells that were in your five-year-old self are still around. Well, actually, so
0: some of them are. Some of them are? Yes.
3: Which ones? So a lot of brain
0: cells. Okay. Um, so the average lifespan of cells in your body, I think, is... A few, uh, several years. Okay. Um, some cells turn over at faster rates than others. So you're a lot of your skin, like probably. your skin, your your uh, epithelial cells lining your stomach, and all turn over. A lot of cells will turn over in the course of just like a week. Mm-hmm. Um, some turn over in the course of a few years. There's other tissue that you're born with and you die with. Like mm-hmm. there's certain cells in the disc of your eye that you're born with and you die with. So Whoa. those never regenerate. And then in your brain, your your brain goes through a lot of changes as a child, and then after which point there's not as much like uh, cellular change and turnover. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of neuroplasticity in your brain because your brain can change at any age basically, um, although it slows down and the amount of plasticity is much reduced once mm-hmm. you're about 25 years old, right? But you you can still develop new synaptic connections and your brain chemistry can change. But in terms of new cells, like there's not really that much um, cell change mm-hmm. once you're around 25, um, or or even younger. I think it the the cell, cell like you you're basically it's the the same kind of cellular tissue. But mm-hmm. yeah, but you know when you think about it, like a lot of our body is replaced from like our five year old self. Yeah. Um, although it it is it does make sense that our brains are not as frequently replaced cuz right. we would <laughs>
3: like forget a lot of things yeah. i guess
0: but yeah it is it is still freaky like if you look at your your skin that you're in right now mm-hmm. so that's all new skin yeah you yeah. this is like new from probably a year ago yeah. it's like none of
3: the Pretty recent yeah so your bones is that that, that your bones turns do, over yeah it does turn over Slower quite though. slowly yeah. yes
0: yes but it does turn over so even even your bones <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, it is. That it's that ship of Theseus thing of like, well, if I'm sort of made out of new parts now, am yep, I like the yep. same person? Yeah. Uh, and even though the cells, your your neurons don't literally change out, your neural structures change, and so it's like, you know, is that right. still you? Because you form completely new sy- right. synaptic patterns and all these things. So it's, and you're building off of stuff, and it is. It is, right. is kind of. It is a weird yeah, question. Yeah, your body
3: is like playing a game of telephone with yes.
0: <laughs> it is. That's a really interesting way to put it. I like that a lot. It is like, yeah, that's the it, that is true. And then, aren't we all just like adults bursting out of children and <laughs> not understanding what's going on?
3: Like
0: I'm I'm bigger now, but right, nothing right. else is still essentially a child. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's. Um, The human condition is basically the same as the ribbon worm, I feel like.
3: (laughs) Oh, man, the ribbon worm.
0: So, I, because this was a particularly disgusting episode, I wanted to do a chaser of a a kitty discovering that he has ears. Um, (laughs) So, here is... This isn't a trick. This is actually cute. Don't worry. (laughs) Okay. So, here's the kitty, and she's... I'll, I'll post a link to this video, but... Uh, and what's oh. that? What's that? Oh. She's looking in the mirror and then she's looking at her ears and then she stands up on her hind legs <laughs> and then she starts like touching oh her god. ears.
3: Oh my god. She, she's
0: like on her hind legs looking in the mirror, like touching what? her ears and staring at herself.
3: Wow. Um,
0: so there's this thing in animal behavior called the mirror test where you try to see if an animal has an awareness that it's, it's looking, uh, at looking at itself in the yeah. mirror. And you can do it by they've done it in primates where they put like a red dot on them and they sedate them so they don't know they're getting marked with the dot. And then they look in a mirror and then they rub the dot off and that shows some awareness oh, that that's them yeah, in the mirror. Yeah, yeah, totally. um, I think primates, elephants, uh, dolphins all show some awareness of themselves in the mirror. I don't think cats have ever... Shown this, but this This is a this is is some compelling evidence. Look, it it really so
3: wow. It really
0: does look like it. It thinks it's uh, very human. Right, right. Now, of course, it could be something like it thinks it's another cat, and so it's signaling to the other cat, but it really, this does look like some kind of genius cat It's yeah. figured it all out. Also, it's
3: a very cute cat. It is an
0: extraordinarily cute cat. I don't cat. know what kind
3: of cat that is, but it looks very, very Now sweet. I want to
0: get about five cats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, thank you for uh, hanging in there at this. Of course. Year. A little cat chaser at the end. <laughs> a, little, solve, a little little cat chaser, <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh, so, you got anything you want to plug? Um, just Night Call. Night Call is uh, on this very podcast network. It is. We put out new episodes on Mondays, and I co host it with Molly Lambert and Tess Lynch, mm-hmm. who's also been. Guests on this podcast. Got the, the yeah. trifecta. Now. Yeah, yeah, you got you caught, caught us all. <laughs> um, we are all three Pokemon. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter at Emily Yoshida, and that's kind of it for right now. Um, but yeah, night calls also on Twitter, social media. Yeah, all those I gotta,
0: well. I gotta come on on your show. Yeah, and like definitely. Talk about disgusting things. Yeah,
3: I feel like well, we we tend to do a lot of like creature stuff or yeah. whatever's in the news that week about some new weird species that was discovered. So, it would be great to have an expert such as yourself <laughs> to, to chat about stuff with. That would be great. An expert, an expert. with uh, with uh, An exploding eggs. Exploding eggs.
0: <laughs> you can find us on the internet uh creaturefeaturepod.com, creaturefeaturepod on Instagram creature feet pod on twitter that's f-e-a-t not f-e-e-t that's something very different you can find me on twitter i'm katie golden and i'm also pro bird rights where i try to fight for the birds rights to eat parasitic worms thank you so much for listening if you're enjoying the show hit the subscribe button the stars the things that happen below the thing in the app wherever you're listening Thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super spooktacular song, Exolumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday.